Welcome to Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. We're talking today about the power of forgiveness. We're actually talking about freedom, being free from the past, and having the bloodline blessing rather than curses and sins that you're not only inheriting from your uh, parents, but also that you're passing on mm-hmm. to your children. And so we're going to talk today about inner vows mm-hmm. uh, and the power of inner vows, but especially we're talking about forgiveness. Mm-hmm and the importance of forgiveness. So an inner vow is just, Karen, when we, we're we're in pain, we're hurting, and something is happening in our lives, and we say something like, no one will ever hurt me again, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll never be vulnerable again, I'll never be poor again, you know, whatever it is that we say, because we're hurting, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's a sin, and it creates really serious problems. When, When we get married, and we have these inner vows operating in our lives, it can cause tremendous conflict Mm -hmm. that we have with each other. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I remember my inner vows as much as I remember the self-hate talks I would have, you know, and so, I I mean, I'm thinking back because I know we've had this teaching forever, but, you know, for me personally, what I struggled with was the inner talks I had with myself of just the self-hate, the, you know, you're, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're fat, you're, you know, and it was constant. And it, yeah. because I had done that so much my childhood, it took forever for me to get set free until the Lord did um, and, and get set free from those thoughts. Because, you know, I think any inner vow comes with a thought, you know. Oh, yeah, sure. It's something that you're thinking and you, you make that a truth over your life. And it could be a lie, yeah. you know, just like with myself. And, you know, and only God can set us free for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the forgiveness is, we're going to talk about inner vows, this mm-hmm. teaching, but uh, you cannot be set free without forgiveness, mm-hmm. and especially your mom and dad. Now, now, there may be other people involved. It may be an, ex, an ex-spouse or a spouse or a friend or a business partner or something like that, but typically a lot of our inner vows go back to our, our family, mm-hmm. and we, we're hurting. We make ourselves a vow. Mm-hmm. Jesus said it's evil in Matthew 5. This, it's an evil thing, and I'll talk about why it's evil. But to be set free, we have to get to the point where we forgive. For example, our parents, mm-hmm. that, Lord, I forgive my parents. And one of the most powerful, part, I've had many people tell me over the years, and you have too, Karen, well, I keep saying that I forgive them, but nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Luke 6, Jesus said, bless those who curse you mm-hmm. and pray for those who spitefully use you. Well, in, in my life, uh, there was a person that I hated. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't my parents necessarily. But, um, and you told me one day, you said, Jimmy, this is changing your personality. And it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just literally hated the person. <laughs> and the Lord told me to bless them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm not going to bless them, Lord. You know, you might, you <laughs> might bless them if I prayed for you to bless them. And then I'd be mad at you. But what happened is I began to bless that person every day. I was healed. Mm-hmm. The bitterness, the anger, uh, it completely changed. It took about 10 days or so. But as I prayed every day a blessing over that person, And so even if your parent is dead, Mm -hmm. you may have a parent who's dead, but you need to forgive them and bless them. But until you get to the point, uh, see, God will only give us as much grace as we give away. Mm -hmm. And Jesus told us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. The only part of the Lord's Prayer that he repeated was forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so uh, this is so important that we, uh, every single day we forgive, but in order for the inner vows to be broken, uh, there has to be forgiveness of whoever's associated with that mm-hmm. inner vow. And I think, too, if you're aware of how much God forgives us personally. I mean, when I think back on my life and the things that, 
you know, I've never had like horrible stuff, but I had so much emotional baggage. And so the fact that, you know, I know how messed up I was in my thinking and in my behavior, you know, as far as my insecurities, but how much God, you know, forgave me and yeah. kept being so patient and kind with me, you know. And so it's like when you've been forgiven, you want to forgive because you've, you sense that freeing yeah. that it gives you. I mean, it opens up your heart to be able to go on and love people and, you know, to have the kind of relationship you want that's healthy. Yeah, I heard someone say one time, forgiveness doesn't make them right, it just makes us free. Mm -hmm. And you really can't be free. And there's also no such thing as forgiveness for me, but justice for everybody else, mm -hmm. okay? Justice is a, bitterness is a justice spirit. Mm -hmm. And bitterness just says, I'm not gonna go forward until I get what I want, mm -hmm. until that person pays or whatever. So uh, I hope this is helpful to you. We're gonna go into this teaching now about forgiveness and inner vows. I also want to say this being the end of the year, please consider giving to XO Marriage. We're a nonprofit ministry. We go all over the world helping people to succeed in their marriages, but also helping them solve problems and deal with issues that are affecting them and also their children. We're a nonprofit ministry. We depend on the support of people just like you. Please consider, whether you're watching or listening right now, please consider giving, and it will be a huge blessing to us. Go to xomarriage.com forward slash give. Now here's the teacher. Okay, so you say, Jimmy, does a person, when our parents act a certain way, do we always follow in that wake? No, sometimes we do inner vows, and they, these are worse. Um, an inner vow is a self-directed promise made in response to pain or difficulty in life. Okay, so I'll never be poor again. No one will ever hurt me again. Uh, I'm never going to be vulnerable again. When I get older, I'm going to or not going to just make my kids go to church, make my kids work, whatever it is. So I'm hurting. I'm going through life and I'm hurting. Maybe it's not that much pain. Maybe it's severe pain. So I'm not saying this because I'm a bad person. I'm saying this to comfort myself. I don't want to come back here. I, never, I don't ever want to come back here. No woman's ever going to treat me like this again. No man's ever going to treat me like this. I'll never be vulnerable to anybody else again. I'll never be poor again. I will never treat my children like this again. I'll never make my children go to church every time the door swings open. And so we comfort ourselves by that. Again, I've never known a Christian person that didn't have inner vows. Okay, so, so we make them. The problem with inner vows is, first of all, their sin. And I want you to listen to the scripture. This is Jesus. And again, before I knew what inner vows were, I would read scriptures like this that just didn't mean much. But once you understand it, it means everything. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Isn't that an interesting statement? Jesus said, don't you go around swearing? Because you hear, you know, when I was growing up, it was swear to God. And you'd say, swear to God. Somebody would say, well, I'm going to come pick you up at seven. Swear to God. You know, so, well, we didn't realize we were, you know, on the, you know, in big sin with that. <laughs> but, so, but people swear all the time. Jesus said, you just talk. Don't swear. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear by yourself. When you talk, let your yes be yes, 
and your no be no. And if you go beyond that, it's of the evil one. Is that evil? I mean, you're kind of throwing that word around, aren't you, Jesus? If, if I go beyond just a statement, it's evil. Why is it evil? Because in any area that I've made an inner vow, Jesus is not the Lord of that area. Jesus cannot be the Lord when I have made myself a promise that I'm keeping in that area. Because my promises trump Jesus' lordship in every single case. So I say, I'll never be poor again. Guess who isn't Lord of my finances? No one's ever going to hurt me again. Guess who isn't Lord of my relationships? My children will never go to church all the, every time the door swings open. I'll never go to church every time the door swings open. Guess who isn't Lord over my church relationships? See, I've made myself this promise, and now I'm Lord. And Jesus says, you don't do that. So the first thing is they're a sin. It's not a little problem. It's a sin. The second is they cause us to be unteachable, unapproachable, and a little crazy in that area. So a friend of mine called me and said, hey, I've got a friend of mine having marriage problems, and would you talk to him? And I said, yeah. So talked to this guy, and so I was talking to him, and, uh, and he's, he began talking about his wife. And this was a very successful guy, very smart, very intelligent guy. And um, we started talking for a while, and then I realized his wife is not living with him. Um, and he said, he, he kept talking about her apartment. I said, oh, you guys are separate. He said, no, we're not separate. I said, well, you keep talking about her apartment. You, you live in a house. She lives in an apartment. He said, right. I said, so you're separate. He said, we're not separate. I said, so why isn't she in your house? He said, she didn't come in my house. I don't allow her in the house. I said, you don't allow your wife in the house? She said, she's never been in my house. And I said, how long have you been married? He said, like three or four years. And I said, now, so wait, you're separated. He said, we're not separated. I don't allow her in the house. And I said, she's never been in the house. He said, I don't allow her in my house. She has her apartment downtown. He controlled all the finances. She didn't know where any of the money was. He, control, he was just a control freak. And so finally I said, so let me ask you this question. Who died and made you king? Why do you think that somehow you have a divine right to control her life and to keep her away from your home, which is really her home, because everything you have is one. And I'm talking to him like this. Now, when I start talking to him like this, he doesn't enjoy it. I mean, he is becoming very agitated with me. And so I talked to him you know, for just a minute like this, and I said, she's your equal, and she deserves to have everything that you have if, in fact, you're married. And he gets real agitated, and he says, I grew up with a mother who emasculated my father every day of my life growing up, and I made myself a promise it would never happen to me. And I said, you are your mother. You are your mother. The only difference is what your mother did to your father, you do to your wife. Well, he didn't enjoy that either. <laughs> I, he took my picture out of his wallet immediately. I'm so you are your mother. What your mother did to your father, you're doing to her. And so here's the point. Because he had made this inner vow that no woman would ever treat him like that, he couldn't get along with women. He was crazy. Let me say, I'm a marriage expert. I am a marriage expert. He didn't know anything, but he thought he knew more than me. Because in any area that you have an inner vow, you're just a little crazy, and you're unapproachable, and you're unteachable. So one of the dangers we have when we go back through our lives, and again, when I talk to people about inner vows, most of us don't have to think long. 
You know, it's pretty apparent typically where we've made an inner vow, but our worst inner vows come from pain. And we didn't do it because we were evil. We didn't do it because we meant to do it. We did it to comfort ourselves. I don't want to come back here again. I don't want to ever re-experience this again. So what happens is we go to an extreme. And so here, here's iniquities in her vows. Here's a horse, and there's a person trying to get on a horse, but he's drunk. This is a family full of sin, generationally. And there's a horse, and this horse represents a family being able to experience the destiny that God has for them and ride into the future blessed. But one person gets up and falls off this side of the horse into an iniquity. The other person judges this, makes an inner vow, and drops into the other ditch to another extreme. And generation after generation goes from ditch to ditch to ditch. And what God wants is a generation that sobers up, breaks their iniquities, breaks their inner vows, and get on the horse and ride in the future. And that's what happens. But in order to do this, you have to break the inner vow. Okay? So how do you break inner vows? First of all, you have to renounce, repent. It's a sin. It's, it's, it's evil. We didn't know that. Uh, no one knows that when they do it, typically. And so we have to come to the place of saying, Lord, I took possession of that area of my life when I made that inner vow, and I didn't know it was wrong. I was just trying to comfort myself, so I repent. You submit to that area of your life to the Lord. You, I told myself that I'd never be poor again. Now I realize I'm materialistic and I'm crazy. I'm just crazy related to money. I don't, I'm not teachable. I'm not rational related to money. And Lord, I need you to teach me how to steward finances because I don't know. The other thing is forgiveness. We've already talked about forgiveness. Whatever happened to me, I have to forgive spouse, ex-spouse, parent, step-parent, business partner, sibling, friend, whoever it might have been. That, that hurt me, and I made this vow in response to. And then you break the spiritual power of that inner vow over your life. Again, none of us are demon-possessed, but when there is a weakness or a sin in our lives, it sometimes can open a door for the devil to come in and put a hook into it. And that just means there, there's more power to this thing than there ought to be. It occupies a greater place in my emotions and in my life, maybe through confusion or fear than it should, and the good news is we have authority over that in the name of Jesus. Very simply. It's not a, not a complicated thing. One other thing, and we'll pray. Unforgiveness. Okay, and this is, this is the mother of all issues as it relates to uh, getting free from our past. And even as I've talked about iniquities and inner vows, when I talk to people about the issue of forgiveness, and I totally relate to this, a lot of times what people say is, you know, Jimmy, I've forgiven this person a hundred times, but nothing ever changes. I still feel my blood pressure go up when I hear their name. I still don't want to be around them, you know. I still, I just, I know that I'm not over this thing. Okay, so I'll talk about forgiveness and, and then we'll pray. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so the issue is this. You know, we're saved. We're on our way to heaven. That's not the issue. The issue is God will give us as much grace as we give away. If we want to be a dam, like a lake dams up water, grace will not flow through us. We'll live bitter you know, because those stale waters get bitter. If we want to be a river of grace, God will give us all the grace we'll give away. Okay? We want to be a river, not a dam. Okay? The problem with unforgiveness is hypocritical. 
because we have been forgiven by Jesus every sin that we've ever committed. And Jesus tells the story in Matthew 18 of the servant who was forgiven a million dollars and wouldn't forgive his fellow servant a thousand dollars. It's hypocritical. It opens us up to demonic torment. Now, this is the story here, uh, part of the story about Jesus telling the parable. The master, after he called him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you if from his heart you do not forgive your brother his trespasses. So Jesus is saying it's torment. Turn that person over to torment. Unforgiveness is torment. We were not created by God to be a repository for anger. So when we decide not to forgive, that torment literally opens, or that unforgiveness literally opens us up to torment. But listen to this. It opens us up to demonic deception. This is Ephesians 4. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Okay, so Paul is saying, be angry. There's nothing wrong with anger. Allow anger. You know, God gets angry. There's nothing wrong with that. So don't bottle up your emotions and act like you're not angry, but don't sin. Don't justify bad behavior because you're angry, which a lot of people do. Okay, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Deal with it today. Fresh anger is very manageable. The problem, yesterday's anger is a problem. Last year's anger is a big problem. And you say a person has a temper. They're like a teapot that's about to blow. They have unresolved issues. People that have, that can't manage their anger. These are just people that have a lot of bottled up anger. Okay, so don't go to bed on your anger. But if you do go to bed on your anger, understand this. You're going to give a foothold to Diabolos. The, the name for devil in, Hebrew, in Ephesians 4 is Diabolos, slander and accuser. That's what that word means. Okay. The devil is a slander and accuser. So you, you're married or you're in a relationship with someone and you're, you get mad. All of us get mad. Okay. So nothing wrong with that. You go to bed on it and you're laying in bed, and your mind is racing. You know how that happens. You know, you're fighting with your spouse, and you're angry, and you lay there, and your mind is racing, and all these thoughts are going through your head, and um, you're laying back-to-back, not breathing, because you don't want to give them the satisfaction that you're alive. Did you know that a lot of the thoughts that are going through your mind are not introduced by you? Because you went to bed on anger, now the devil is slandering your spouse. You're, you're, the devil cannot wait to interpret other people's motives to you. He loves that. See, if we would sit down and talk it out, we would just reason with each other and get it over with and work it out. But you go to bed on anger, and then the devil begins to say, they're against you, they're trying to hurt you, they're doing this and this and this. Why is he doing that? Because he loves to divide people. He loves to ruin marriages, he loves to ruin families, he loves to ruin our lives. So we are going to bed on anger, and so now... We wake up under the influence. Now, listen to what I'm saying. Okay. If you go to bed on anger, you've been counseled by the devil and you don't even know it. If you have regularly gone to bed on anger, you are deeply deceived about some of the people in your life and you don't know it. That's how dangerous it is. Well, you say, well, Jimmy, how do you know? Because after three years of marriage, everything I believed about Karen was of the devil. I had gone, I'm, I'm an Evans. We're grudge holders. I'm talking about the old Evans, not my new bloodline, my old bloodline. We get quiet. And I can't tell you how many nights when Karen and I were married in the first few years, I would lay there and gnaw 
on something that she said or did. Just gnawing it. And I would wake up the next morning under the influence. And I looked at her and I thought, I made a mistake. I should have married. I knew the girl I should have married, you know. Because the devil kept reminding me. Well, then, you know, when I came to, I realized the reason I didn't marry her is because I didn't like her. <laughs> but when I was mad at Karen, it seemed real good. I'd lay there and I'd gnaw on that thing, gnaw on that thing. See, and you wake up. So, so there's this couple, and they're madly goo-goo in love, soft-hearted, happy, getting married in front of a preacher. How do you go from that to being hard-hearted in front of a judge and hate each other? One drop of anger at a time that you go to bed on. It kills the garden of your love. And you wake up one day and look at each other and you say, I don't even know why I married you. I did that. I woke up and Karen told me, she began to stand up to me and I told her to leave, get out of the house. And she, she went to the bedroom crying. And I was in the living room and I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do if she leaves. And I said, Holy Spirit, teach me how to be a husband. First time I'd ever shown an ounce of humility. And it was like something fell off of my eyes. I, I don't, you know, something fell off of me. And in an instant of time, I saw Karen as being the most precious thing that God ever gave me and myself for the jerk that I was. I was under the influence for three years, almost divorced. I would have divorced multiple times because I was just going to bed on anger and, and storing up all that anger. So whenever we go to bed on anger, the devil's going to lie to us about people. And if we've done it very often, we're, we have to come to this place of saying, I don't even know that I know the truth about people anymore. Because we don't. Okay? And the Lord will deliver us. The other problem with anger is regardless of who we haven't forgiven, it affects those closest to us. You could be mad at a dead relative and it ruined your marriage. Because the people closest around us are the people we're going to spit the venom on. If I was you know, wronged by a principal or a coach or a friend growing up and I've never gotten over it, the people around me are going to get the worst of it if I haven't forgiven. Romans 12, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine I will repay, says the Lord. And so the part of forgiveness is just saying, Lord, I trust you with that person. I, I'm not, I don't know enough to be God. I don't know enough to, to uh, deal with that person righteously. So I'm just going to give them to you, and I trust you. Unforgiveness is saying, I don't trust you. Listen, listen, I love this statement. Bitterness is a justice spirit that will not go forward until it gets what it demands. And you ruin your life because you won't trust God. That's what bitterness is. Okay. So let me say, here's another thing. How do you forgive? Bless the person you haven't forgiven and pray for them until you're healed and free. So Luke 6, 27, 28. I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Okay. So we read that scripture, Luke chapter 6. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. So, it's, you know, I mean, it sounds okay. That's, that's good. But the actual practice of it is disgusting. It's just disgusting. So, you know, I'm not a hater. I've, I've never been a, a hater. In, but there have been two or three people I just hated, you know, in my life. And when I became pastor in a church in Amarillo, I was 28 years old. I'd been in business. And the pastor of the church left. They asked me to take over the church. It was a 1,000-member church. I, was, I had no experience, never been to seminary or anything. 
and I took over this church. Well, the people were sweet to me, most of them. But there was a guy in the church that didn't like me and didn't want me to be the pastor of the church, and he actively campaigned against me being the pastor of the church. Well, I was afraid. I was total, full of fear. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear fill in the blank. I was full of fear. And I wanted to be the pastor, you know, and it, it excited me at the thought of being the pastor. But I was not qualified, didn't have any experience. I, you know, I was struggling to answer questions and stuff. Well, this guy's camp- campaigning against me all the time this is going on. Well, I hated him. I mean, I just got to where I just, and, and he would sit, it list, you know, I would be preaching and he would sit in a prominent place in the middle of the sanctuary and go to sleep during my sermon and let everybody know this guy's boring, get rid of it. And so I had a little dungeon in my heart and I drug him down in there about 10 times a day and beat up on him. I just tortured him. I waited to see his obituary in color with multiple pictures and uh, that I hated the man's guts. I despised that man. And, uh, Karen said to me one day, your personality is changing. And I could feel oppression. I mean, I could feel mentally and emotionally like a heaviness on me, you know. And she said, your, your personality is changing, Jimmy. And you're snapping at me. You're snapping at the kids. You need, you need to deal with this. Deal. So I went in one day and I was praying and I said, and I was just saying, Lord, kill, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Kill this guy. <laughs> You know, I'm two funerals away from victory. You know, so uh, the Lord said, I want you to bless him. I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not blessing this guy. He doesn't deserve it. I deserve it. This guy doesn't deserve it. The Lord said, no, I want you to bless him. You know, the Lord never says, you know, Jimmy, you're right. <laughs> I've waited for it, but it's never happened. But uh, I want you to bless him. I said, no, I'm not blessing him. The Lord said, yeah, you're going to bless him. Well, I did it, but I did it like this. You know, I had my fingers crossed. Okay, bless him. Lord said, no, no, you pray for him like you pray for you. You pray for his business, you pray for his marriage, you pray for his family just the way you pray for yourself. It, it was disgusting to me. I just thought, I, wh- what if you bless him, Lord? Now, now I'm mad at you. I mean, I don't want to bless this guy. And I did. I did it out of obedience, and I did it, and the Lord said, every day. Every day you wake up and you bless that man and his family. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is awful. So about 10 days after doing it, and I was doing it out of obedience. I didn't do it out of desire or anything. I just did it out of obedience. About 10 days into it, I woke up one day and said, well, I'll bless this guy, bless his wife, bless his children and all that. Well, as I was blessing him, I saw a picture in my heart of a little boy about 10 years old standing out in a field. It was like a farm or a ranch. There was a house over here, and this little boy was standing out in the field, and something really bad had just happened to him, like abuse. And he was like in shock. And I saw this little boy, and the Lord said, now that little boy is the man you hate. And you see him for what he did to you. I see him for what was done to him. And instantly, I felt compassion for him and never had anger again. Blessing is the medicine. And blessing forces forgiveness out of your head into your heart. You cannot hate a person you're blessing for very long. And a lot of people say, I keep forgiving them. I just can't get over it. 
I just can't get over it. Well, the, the point is this, because we won't bless. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. So as I'm praying, it proves to God, this isn't a head thing I'm doing. So my Father will do to you if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. Not from your mouth and not from your head, from your heart. And if I'm truly forgiving you, what it means is I release you to God and I bless you. I have no, there's no bitterness. I'm not trying to get justice. I'm not trying to exact some kind of a cost. I'm over it. I'm over it. So I'd see that guy. And by the way, that guy kept hating me. I mean, he didn't change his tune at all. Uh, he didn't, when I forgave him, he didn't come up to me and say, hey, let's be friends. He was still a knucklehead. But I would see him and I just thought, love you. I don't know what happened to you, but Lord does. And I was free. I never again, my blood pressure never went up when I heard his name. I never again had problems. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events. 